It was supposed to be a day of mourning, a day of defeat. It was a day for the critics and skeptics to point the finger with smug satisfaction and declare, your savior was a fraud. His death has proven it. He is buried, he is gone, and he will be forgotten. It was supposed to be a day of darkness and a day of grief. A day when broken and confused followers felt lost and overwhelmed with hopelessness. Even those who went to visit the tomb that day expected to find nothing more than a lifeless body. It was supposed to be a day of sadness and weeping. But you transformed it into a day of rejoicing, a day of victory, a day when the children of God can shout with confidence, He is alive, He is risen and he will never be forgotten. This day has driven out all darkness and grief, erased all sin and shame. A day when followers of the true savior are flooded with purpose, promises, and hope. This day echoes through the halls of history as the day our king crushed the head of the snake, tore through the chains of death itself, and claimed mankind for his kingdom. Tears of despair have become tears of overwhelming joy. For the Lord, Jesus Christ, has made this day of sorrow into a day of worship. Good morning, Grace Community Church and all who may be visiting with us this morning. He is risen. All right, and I didn't hear you guys real well, so I need to hear you. I know you're, you're shouting from your homes, uh, and we have a few in here, so we're going to say it again. He is risen. Well, maybe one more time. Ready? He is risen. And all God's people said amen, right? He is alive. This morning I want to begin by reading a story to the children. And um, that would even include Buddy Seal. I know he enjoys um, looking at the pictures. And so, Buddy, if you're at home watching this morning, make sure you get up in front so you can see. But I wanted to read the uh, children this morning a story. And it's called The Easter Story. And um, it goes like this. When we celebrate Easter, we remember that God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Jesus made sick people well. He even made the dead live again. Jesus chose 12 men to be his disciples. He told them that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. 
But some people didn't want to hear about God. They didn't want to listen to Jesus. In fact, there were many that didn't want to listen to Jesus. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And people shouted, Hosanna to our king. Later, Jesus and his disciples ate the Passover supper. Jesus washed their feet to show them just how much he loved them. After supper, they went to a garden to pray. But the men who didn't want to be around Jesus or like Jesus sent soldiers to arrest him. Jesus was sent to die, and his disciples were very upset about this. But Jesus had told them that he would rise three days after he died. On the third day, women went to Jesus' tomb, and the tomb was open. Jesus was not there. That night, Jesus' disciples were in a locked room, and suddenly Jesus was there. He was alive. Jesus said to his disciples, Go and tell everyone that if a person believes in me, they will be saved and they will live forever. This is the Easter story that Jesus is alive today. And because he died for us, we will live too. And all the children and all God's people said, Amen. He's alive. Let's pray uh, together as we begin our service. Lord, thank you so much that we get to celebrate today your resurrection Lord, indeed, you are alive. We are so, so thankful that even though in this unusual time for us um, that we have, um, we can still celebrate. I pray that we do this, Lord, more than just today. But as believers, that we would, that we would celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. That we would celebrate what was accomplished at the cross of Calvary, and that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. I pray that this would be, for us today, a very special day as we're together, and that as people ask us as we walk through life, hey, tell us about this Jesus and what he did, that we're ready to give an answer. That we're ready to tell them about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. And that he was buried, but three days later he rose again. And indeed he is alive. And today he is sitting at the right hand of the Father on high. And one day he is coming back for those that belong to him. Lord, I pray that we look forward to that day. And I pray this morning that everything that's done would bring honor and glory to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray all of these things. Amen.
morning, everyone. Well, he is risen, and he is alive, and uh, it's Easter. It's, it's my favorite day of the year, and I think each year it gets a little bit sweeter, I guess because as you get a little closer to the end and a little further away from the beginning of your journey, uh, the truth of what Paul said, that we are alive because he is alive, that just permeates you and really starts to hit home. And so we want to lift his name high this morning. We're going to worship him from the campus here at Grace. We want you to worship along with us. And we are alive because he is alive. And we want to sing about that this morning. You guys sing along with us. One, two, three, four. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Amen.
stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him One final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake Oh 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. set out for the grief, sorrow that filled their hearts, a dead man awaiting. But when they arrived, surprised to find two angels o'er the tomb, they fell down and cried out, where has he been moved? He is not here. He's not here, the angels say, He is risen, risen from the dead, He is alive, alive forevermore, He conquered death, now holds the key to heaven's door. So 
praise team. Those are some great songs. And they're all around the theme of He is alive, He is risen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus indeed is alive? I wanted to just make a, a brief announcement before I continue. Um, this morning we will be having the Lord's Supper together. And in case you didn't uh, receive that message or you may be joining us uh, as a visitor this morning, at the end of my time this morning, we'll be having the Lord's Supper and remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, what that accomplished uh, for us. And, and it's a time to remember. It's a time to reflect. It's clear from the Scripture. That's what the Lord desires that we do, is remember. Um, that's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you need to slip away and get a cracker, uh, some juice, I would encourage you to do that in order to prepare because this is a wonderful, wonderful day. In so many ways, we get to celebrate the accomplishment of the cross, but we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And what better is there to do than to celebrate every day what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the resurrection of our Savior this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to the Gospel of John in the 20th chapter. This is such an excellent, excellent chapter. And when I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to share, uh, he led me to the latter part of John's uh, Gospel, chapter 20, um, to the almost the final words there in the chapter. I have a question for you to consider, and it's this. What do we know? Now, for some of you, that might not take long. You might say, I just don't know a whole lot. But in the context of John 20, what do you know about the events that took place? What do you know about what transpired after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, there is a character here in this chapter that just captures my attention. And I think he captures yours as well. Um, we know from the synoptic gospels that he's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know that he's in the list of the disciples. That's what we know about him in those three books. That's all we know about him in those three books. But as we come to John's gospel, it's different. There's much more said about this man. He, he's much more of a prominent figure. In fact, I think you could argue that the chapters that he appears in, you just have to step back and go, well, those are powerful chapters. 
and powerful scenes that this man was able to be a part of. Um, we know he occurs in these three chapters that we'll reference this morning. One of them, I'm just going to reference, I'll let you study up on it this afternoon. It'll give you something to do after you eat the ham and the eggs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I want to focus in on two events in the, in the life of this man. Um, the first one occurs in John's Gospel in the 11th chapter. And you don't need to turn there because I'm going to have it on the screen for you. But in this particular chapter, we know the context is that Lazarus is sick. Word comes to Jesus that he's sick. And he makes the decision that he's going to stay where he was for two more days. Well... In the meantime, at some point in time, Lazarus dies before Jesus goes to him. In fact, in John's gospel, this is what it says. The other disciples were saying to him, excuse me, wrong page. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover. What are they thinking? They're thinking that he's just asleep, like you and I go to sleep. That's what they're thinking. But there's a parenthetical statement in that chapter that defines what was truly going on with Lazarus. It says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. And so then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And I am glad for your sakes. This is a very interesting statement. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. There's no wasted moments with the Lord. No wasted scenes. I mean, you have to look at that and go, wow. This is the purpose. He says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? In order that you may believe. I just love that about our Lord. There are just no wasted moments, no wasted opportunities. You think about the things that transpire in your life on a weekly basis. Think if we were just a little bit more intentional. That our viewpoint was, you know, everything that goes on, I mean, the Lord knows about in my life. And nothing happens in my life that hadn't already passed through his hands. Lord, help me to be a little more intentional. Because it's certainly true that in this context, the Lord was thinking about what he would do with Lazarus when he raised him. Um, that's what we know. So the idea in the beginning of that section is, I go. Jesus says, I go. And then at the end of that section, it's let us go. So it goes from I to all of us. Well, the question then is, what's, what about the rest of the story? That's a good question. What ends up happening to him? Here's the rest of the story. Here's the rest of the story. Look at this at the end of the section. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples. Now look at this statement. Here's Thomas. 
Now, what do we typically know Thomas for? Doubting. That's one of the first things that comes to your mind isn't it, when you think about Thomas. In fact, I would say that we've changed Thomas' first name from Thomas to Doubting Thomas. But do we have permission to do that? Who gave us permission to do that? There's more about his life than just that scene in John chapter 20. Um, in fact, this statement brought about some thoughts that I wanted to share with you this morning. Because he says, let us go also go so that we may die with him. That's quite a statement. No one else said it. Just Thomas. No other disciple said it. Just Thomas. And so I wrote down three things for our consideration. Thomas was willing to be a risk taker. I mean, there had been a warning that the disciples had already given to the Lord Jesus in this context. Up above what we just read, the disciples warned Jesus about going back to Judea. Why? Because they were going to stone him. The Jews wanted to stone him. So then the Lord Jesus says, hey, look, Lazarus is dead, and we need to go. And then you have this doubter who says, let us go that we may die with him. I mean, you really expecting that? Of all the disciples that are in that scene, based on what we know about Thomas' life, especially from John 20, are you really expecting him to be the one to say, hey, let us also go so that we may die with him? The argument, I think, here is that Thomas was willing to be a risk taker. So it poses the question, are we willing to take risk for the cause of Christ? What's Thomas saying here? Hey, we're going to die with him. It's quite an amazing statement. But not only was Thomas willing to go and die with the Lord, but Thomas was willing to throw the other disciples under the bus. He's saying, hey, look, it's not just going to be me that's going to go and die with the Lord, but you're going to go with me. That's quite a statement. Especially when you consider, and this all has to be taken in consideration, when you consider the context or the framework with which most of us know Thomas, the first thing that comes to our mind is doubting. But it's like, hold on a second. There's a lot more to this man's life than just doubting. This is quite a scene, is it not? Well, there's a third observation I made from that text in John 11. I wrote down, Thomas clearly, through this bold statement, declared his love for the Lord Jesus. And it just, uh, it just hits you square in the face. Like, man, this, this disciple named Thomas, who everyone labels as doubting, before we get to the resurrection of Christ, he's here stating, let's go die with him, and declaring through that statement just how much he loved him. Interestingly enough, later in the upper room, Jesus would say to his disciples, listen to this, it so connects. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Wouldn't it be sad if the only thought you had of Thomas was doubting? 
<laughs> That's sad. He figures prominently in three different scenes in John's gospel. I'll let you investigate the other one, right? I'll give you something to do this afternoon. And you may already know it. I want us to, trans, uh, to, to transfer now to, to um, John 20. And I want us to see what's said um, in the scene uh, with Jesus in the ten. Before Jesus appears to the ten, now this is after his resurrection, before Jesus appears to the ten, minus Thomas, Thomas isn't there, the scriptures tell us that to this point, Mary Magdalene has seen the Lord. And the other women have seen the Lord. And two disciples on the road to Emmaus have seen the Lord. And Cephas, Simon, Peter, has seen the Lord. In fact, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians makes reference to that in 1 Corinthians 15. That he had appeared to Cephas, to Peter. Now, that's a whole other story. What a great one that is. You just have to love the fact that the Lord Jesus loves us so much. That's what I pick up in all these things. His love, his intentionality. I mean, who did he need to go? He needed, right, to appear to Peter. Why? Because Peter had done what? He denied him three times. Listen, it, it's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, point in Scripture that we would, we would understand that every single step Jesus took was intentional. Every single place he went, he went with purpose. I love that about my Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if we were more like that? That we had that mindset of, of being intentional, being purposeful, demonstrating love to people who need the love of the Lord. Well, to this point, Mary Magdalene, the other women, the two disciples, Peter had seen the Lord. And now we come to John chapter 20 and verse 19. Look with me. It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Lord here is giving them their mission. Right? And he's also giving them the Spirit. And he's, you know, he's just, he's so intentional. They have a job that they would do, that they would be assigned to. And that was the carrying on of the gospel. The spreading of the good news. Making disciples. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Well, there's some observations from this section that I want to give you. And as you can see... From this slide, this particular scene occurs also in Luke's gospel, verses 36 through 43 of chapter 24. I'll allude to that, and you can look that up later um, in your time. But I want to just give you a few observations from this particular scene. 
with Jesus and the ten. First of all, I want you to note that the disciples were in fear because of the Jews. Hey, listen, to be identified with Christ potentially could cost you your life. You think about how many people around the world have that same issue today. To be connected to Christ could cost them their life. Um, But I love what happens here. Look at that second observation. There's fear on the part of the disciples. Luke also mentions this. But then the second observation is the Lord Jesus says, peace is with you. And he does it twice. It's a very, very interesting phrase. Peace is with you. He doesn't say, I'm going to give it to you. He says, peace is what? With you. Who's the peace? Believer, who's the peace? He's the peace. He's the peace. The the doors were shut. They were locked. He appears in the room and he says, peace be with you. They needed to hear those words. So there was fear in this scene with the disciples. But he comes in and he says, peace is with you. In other words, I'm here. And then how it works out in our own lives? Right, when there's fear. Guys, listen. Did you know as a believer in Christ that when when you were saved, um, the Spirit of God indwells you? Did you know that? And He's forever with you? And that peace that maybe you so long for, it's there. He's there. There's a third observation from this particular text. It says, the Lord Jesus shows them his hands and his feet and he invites them to touch him. Look in verse 24. It tells us that Thomas wasn't there at this time. Okay, so that's very important to remember. Thomas wasn't in the scene. But Jesus had told them in verse 20, he showed them both his hands and his side. All right? And Luke speaks to this very issue, right? And he invites them to touch him. But you know the end of that story? There's no evidence that the disciples touch him. None whatsoever. No evidence. The Bible doesn't tell us they did that. Um, so we have the disciples. They're in fear. Jesus stands in their midst. He says, peace be with you. I'm here. He offers to the ten, hey, touch me. No evidence that they do. And then we see this particularly mentioned in Luke's gospel. Here in John, it's mentioned somewhat, but in Luke's gospel, the Lord Jesus points out the importance of his bodily resurrection. Verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. How important is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? (laughs) Uh, Very important. In fact, Paul the Apostle calls him the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul verifies that Jesus was the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep, those who are dead. The Lord's resurrection, guys, is our hope of resurrection. And 
just as Jesus had a bodily resurrection, the dead in Christ are going to arise first, and then we here alive are caught up, we'll, we'll be with the Lord forever. Our bodies will be changed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of eye, it will be changed. You know, it's interesting. Um, there's another evidence of his bodily resurrection in Luke's gospel. You don't need to turn there, but I want you to just listen to this. And this is, this is kind of humorous to me. I don't think that it's necessarily intended to be. But it says, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. And I'm like, hey, hallelujah. Because as we are raised new, as we're transformed into this new body, Right? We can't even imagine what that's going to be. But you know what we get to do? We get to eat. right? Because Jesus himself asked the question, and then he ate with his disciples. So that means this, guys. You're not done eating after you leave this earth. We're going to be eating with the, our Lord and our Savior. And you know what? My wife doesn't like fish. She's going to learn to love fish. You might not like fish, but you're going to learn to love fish. Maybe there'll even be some crawfish pie and some filet gumbo. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of things. Why? Because we're going to be celebrating the Lord, the provider, the one that we worship, the one that we adore. Well, the Lord Jesus points out the importance of his bodily resurrection in this scene. And then fifth, notice, I just read about it, the ten were doubting. Oh, hold on a second. I thought that doubting piece was reserved just for Thomas. No. The scriptures are clear in Luke's gospel that there was some doubt with the ten. And yet John records at the end of this, there's rejoicing. And I want you to listen to what John's gospel says here. Um, the disciples, verse 20, look at this. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And it says, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But in Luke's gospel, it, it records they had some doubt. So there's this transition from doubt to rejoicing. And the idea here is that they couldn't believe what was going on. Wow. I mean, has that ever happened to you in your life where something transpires and you go, I can't believe this is happening. That's exactly what's going on here. With these guys, there was some doubt, but then that doubt turned to rejoicing. Um, well, before we get to the scene that I want to, to spend a little bit more time in with Thomas, um, there's transitional verses. I want you to look with me in verses 24 and 25. These are the transitional verses between Jesus meeting with the ten and Jesus meeting with the eleven. Verse 24 says, But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, meaning twin, were never told in the Bible about his twin. Don't know who that was, don't know anything about him. But it says, was not with them when Jesus came. All right, this is very important. So when Jesus appeared in the upper room with these other disciples, with the ten, Thomas wasn't there. But now here's what the ten tell him. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. So how are you going to respond to that? 
I want you to note in that transition, it's just the ten that are communicating this message to Thomas. Jesus isn't with them at that point. But they tell him, hey, we've seen the Lord. And then we have this section that Thomas is most known for. And I think it's unfortunate. Because as you're going to see, the response Thomas has when Jesus appears is absolutely awesome. But I think Thomas is just like the other ten. I think he's just like the other ten were. Notice what, what it says. The disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And that's where people focus their attention on Thomas. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Change his name from Thomas to Doubting Thomas. And I'm thinking, hold on a second. The other ten had doubts. How come they didn't have that label? Doubting Peter, right? Doubting John. It's not what it says. It says here that Thomas had doubt. What did he doubt? He doubted their word. That's what he doubted. We look at that, and I think it has been looked at for centuries as, well, he shouldn't have doubted. I'm like, hold on a second. He's human. And what did he see? Who did he walk with? He walked with Jesus. He saw him on the cross being crucified. (laughs) No wonder he wants to see the Lord and touch his hands and put his hand in his side. No wonder. Well, here we come to this scene. It's quite amazing. Jesus and the eleven. So we have Jesus in the ten. There's some doubt there. But they, at the end of the story, there's rejoicing because they had seen the Lord. And then we come to this scene. Transition there was that the other disciples communicated to Thomas. Hey, he's alive. And Thomas was like, hey, I'm not going to believe unless. But now we come to this next section I want to read this, beginning in verse 26. It says, After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Don't you just love, again, the attention to detail? The Lord recognizes what's going on in the lives of these guys. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, And see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Ooh, there's some powerful observations here. You ready for them? Good. The first one is that there were eight days between the Lord seeing the ten and his appearance to, to the eleven. You say, Thad, what's so big deal about that? How, man, how much agonizing was going on with Thomas? I remember the, 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 the ten said, hey, he's alive. But then it's eight days. 
Eight days go by. I mean, have you ever had something happen in your life and you're just waiting with anticipation until that time comes? Eight days between the time he appeared to the ten and the time he's with Thomas. I can't imagine what was going on in the mind of Thomas. Remember, guys, remember, he loved the Lord. He loved him a lot. He was willing to die with him. And then we see again the Lord Jesus announcing peace. Peace is with you. But I want you to notice next, look what it says. The Lord Jesus initiates the conversation with Thomas, verse 27. Look what it says. Then he said to Thomas, I just love this. I mean, imagine being in the room. There's the 11. They're in the room. Jesus, listen, doors aren't an, uh, an obstacle for him then. Doesn't matter if they're locked, shut, no big deal. He just, he's there. He's there in the presence of of the 11. He says, peace is with you. In other words, I'm here. And then he goes right to Thomas. Man, I love that. He was fully aware of what was going on in the mind of that man. Isn't that comforting? Fully aware of what was going on in Thomas's heart and mind. He knew Thomas wasn't with the others when he appeared to him the first time, obviously. And now Thomas is there, and it's been eight days. And Jesus, listen, he goes right to him. He initiates the conversation. Guys, listen, isn't that how the Lord deals with us? He's fully aware of what's going on in our lives. The presence of the Lord was the peace for them. You know what we have, guys? We have the Spirit of God that indwells us, and we have His Word. We have His Word. And then the Bible says, the Lord Jesus affords Thomas the same opportunity as the ten had. Look at this in verse 26. After eight days, His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then verse 27, here it is. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas was afforded the very same opportunity the other ten were. Does the Bible say that he touches the Lord? It's interesting that while the invitation was there to do that, and remember what Thomas had said, back in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But then the Lord comes to him, he stands right in front of him, offers him the same opportunities he did the other ten. And the scriptures do not say that Thomas touched him. In fact, I think there's a little bit of evidence here that that's the, the case. Because in verse 29, it says, Jesus said to them, because, because you have seen me. It doesn't say anything about him touching him. You know, I'd never noticed that before. In all the years I've read, I had never noticed that before. Now, does that mean he, he didn't? Well, he might have, but the Bible doesn't say he did. 
So while the Lord affords Thomas the same opportunity, he doesn't do it. And notice in that section, in verse 27, that the Lord expressed his desire that Thomas would believe. Guys, just like the Lord wanted Thomas to believe he was alive, it was him. Do you know the scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that the Lord desires all men, listen to this, he desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you may be out there today listening, and you may be like Thomas, or even like the other ten. I'm not sure about this resurrection thing. I'm not sure where I stand on this. Um, I saw something last night that was really sad. You ever watch Water's World? It's on Fox. You can watch it or not watch it. I don't care. But he went around New York City and he was interviewing people about what today represented. And he asked a young lady. She must have been... She looked like she was in her early 20s. She says, what, what does tomorrow mean to you? What's, what's Easter about? She said, she stopped for a moment. She said, isn't it, isn't it about the birth of Jesus or something like that? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Teresa was in the kitchen at the time, and she was like, what did she just say? The whole interview was just sad. As he was interviewing all these different people, they have no idea. But there may be some that are watching today, some of you at home, who kind of doubted. You look at it, it's like, oh, this is a fairy tale. But when you look at what transpires here, the Lord had already appeared to a few and he appeared to the 10, then he appeared to the 11. And 1 Corinthians tells us that at one time he appeared to 500. That's a lot of people. A lot of people saw the resurrected Christ. Maybe you're doubting. I mean, that, that happens. But it's amazing to me that, that the one who comes into the room goes right to Thomas. And he's so aware of what's going on in his heart. And he's so desirous that Thomas would believe. And listen to me out there today. The Lord desires that you come to know him. That's what my Bible tells me. He desires that all men come to the knowledge of the faith. That all men would believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And no one can make you believe that. No person made me believe that. And the gospel was shared with me many times when I was a kid. And it wasn't until the Spirit of God convicted me of my sin. I had heard the message about being a sinner. I was like, <laughs> it's funny too, even when I was seven years old, I was like, yeah, I sin. I do that. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's a problem because there had to be a payment for the sin in order to, to be able to be in the presence of God. And the only, the only thing that could bridge that was Jesus Christ. The only thing that could bridge that gap was a person, a person, singular, Jesus Christ. 
And he went to the cross and he died for our sins. Just as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. The Lord desires that all men believe that. But not all men are going to believe that. Look at this next observation. This one I could spend uh, two hours talking about. And since you're at home, why not? Let's just do that. These guys are looking at me like, hey, Dad. This observation is critical. What Thomas says here, the gospel writer arguably shares with his readers the most weighty confession in the gospels. I I would argue it is the most weighty confession Some would say it was Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, when he said that. But when you consider what Thomas says, it is mind-blowing. There's two things that he says, and I gave them to you there in the Greek, and I know you can read it, right? It says, ha kurios mu kai ha theos mu. Got it? In your translations, it says, my Lord and my God, but in the Greek it reads this way. The Lord of me... And the God of me. Whoa, oh, 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 man, that's big. So remember, he wasn't with the ten. The ten say, hey, we've seen the risen Lord. And then eight days later, they're in this room and Jesus appears. And he goes to Thomas and he wants him to believe. And then the Bible tells us that Thomas makes this great confession The Lord of me and the God of me. That's what he says to him. Now for us, that's kind of weird, right? The Lord of me and the God of me. The way that's put, but that's exactly the way it reads in the Greek. The Lord of me and the God of me. Well, my friends, listen to me. Thomas is confessing more than just Jesus is alive. So much more. First of all, Thomas, when he says the Lord of me, confessed the absolute, now listen to me, he confessed the absolute sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. He is the ruler. He's the sovereign one. Thomas confessed his absolute sovereignty. Thomas confessed an absolute submission in that. An absolute submission to the sovereign one. The word kurios is translated sometimes as sir, sometimes as lord, but sometimes as master. Master. That's exactly what Thomas is saying here. The master of me is the Lord. Have you confessed that? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. The master of me is the Lord. The master of me is not my job. It's not my family. It's not my circumstances. The master of me, listen, Thomas is declaring, the master of me is the Lord. And he's standing right there. That's what the Lord desires from all of us that belong to him. That we would declare that he is the absolute sovereign ruler and the absolute sovereign ruler in our life. It's a big deal. I don't know about you, but that's worth consideration, but it's heavy. 
But not only does Thomas respond by saying the Lord of me, but he says the God of me. Whoa. Now what happens in John's gospel when Jesus says that I and the Father are one? I mean, are the religious leaders going, yeah, yeah, we believe that. No, they're not doing that. Thomas confesses here in the upper room in front of the disciples and Jesus, he confesses not only the absolute sovereignty of the Lord, but the absolute deity of the Lord. That's why we say, guys, and this is a really important doctrinal truth, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Do you know that's exactly what Thomas is saying here? Jesus is God. This is what Thomas was saying. Not only is he the absolute sovereign one of me, but he is the God of me. He is the one and the only one that I bow down to. Now, this is pretty heavy stuff because when you, we have to consider when, when he's saying it, it's one thing. We look at it and we go, wow, that's great, Thomas. Good job. But when I have to consider that in my own life, it's pretty heavy, isn't it? I mean, what's our confession of the Lord Jesus? Can we confess the same thing that Thomas confessed in the upper room? Jesus is the Lord of me and the God of me. He's the only one I'm bowing to. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? Makes us kind of think about how we live life day to day. Would our lives say that he is the Lord of me and the God of me? (laughs) When you're chewing on that ham this afternoon, think about that. Well... There's one last observation there. The Lord Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who believe and yet who did not see. Guys, I haven't seen my risen Lord, have you? No, but we've seen evidence, haven't we? Our Lord reigns. He is the ruler. He is the sovereign one. He is God alone. Jesus said in verse 29 to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Well, I want to give you three things to think about. Things to consider. Now listen, I want to make just a brief announcement before that. If you're like, hey, Thad, I didn't get all that down. Every week I'm going to send out notes of the message I just delivered. So in other words, I'll send you notes, all these notes, this week. And then we'll do that every week. So that if you're not able to see as the slides transition for some reason, uh, you'll have those notes. And then you can send me your notes after you study it on your own. Um, These are things to consider, three of them from this section, pretty weighty things. Will we be risk takers for the Lord Jesus? Will we do that? You guys have heard of Mike Lindell? He's the pillow guy, right? You guys have heard of him? Did you happen to catch his statement a couple of weeks ago? 
um, when he was with President Trump and the other business leaders. Just in case you didn't catch it, here's what he said. And I want to tell you right now, this fits so well. He was a risk taker. He was willing to take a risk. This is what he said. God gave us grace on November 8, 2016 to change the course we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. A nation had turned its back on God. And this is what, this is amazing. This is national TV, right? I love it because some pastors don't even do this on national TV. He says, I encourage you to use this time at home to get back in the word. Now, my friends, listen to me. As the article goes on to say, President Trump wasn't aware of that particular part of his statement. But he said, get back in the Word, read our Bible, and spend time with our families. And I'm like, when he said, I was literally like, yeah! I mean, think about it. On national TV. And people are tuning in every day. And here's this press conference with all these national business leaders... And Mike Lindell gets up there and talks about what my pillow was going to do, you know, in trans, trans, transitioning to kind of a wartime mentality and, and what his company would do to help with what was going on with COVID-19. And then he stops, and, and, and if you saw it live, he's like, he stopped and intentionally transitioned to that. And I was like, whoa, risk? <laughs> oh, yeah. Think about the reporters. I, a, a, and they have not let up since he made those statements. You think the world likes those statements? No. Well, you think about it. Thomas was a risk taker. Mike Lindell was a risk taker. Are we willing to be risk takers for the Lord? Secondly, the same peace the Lord Jesus was for the disciples, which he seeked consistently said peace is with you is that same peace we we can have and you can read it this afternoon i'm sure many of you are familiar with the section in philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 but guys listen when we have things going on in our lives that we are concerned about or getting to the point of anxiety about you know what the lord wants us to do with those things throw them at his feet Give them to him. You know, the end of verse 7 says, when we do that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, some translations have all comprehensions, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We have that same peace afforded to us that they had. Thirdly, have we confessed that the Lord Jesus is the Lord of me, and the God of me. Was Thomas one who doubted the words of the ten? Yeah, he did. But Thomas was much more than that. Thomas was a man who was willing to take a risk. Thomas was a man who loved his Lord. In fact, you know the end of the story of Thomas? Let me tell you the end of the story. Tradition says that Thomas took the gospel to India. That's what he did. My, 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 in my vision of Thomas is that he just could not wait to get out there and fulfill what the Lord 
had told him to do. I mean, you don't, listen, you don't make a statement like the Lord of me and the God of me without that mentality. Tradition says he took the gospel to India where eventually, you know, he was stabbed to death with a spear. Thomas was all in. So maybe, just maybe, we need to consider more than just that one little section in John 20 about Thomas. And I'll give you a hint. The other time that Thomas is mentioned is between chapter 11 and between chapter 20. But you go and you make observations yourself because in that particular context where he's mentioned in between those chapters is a really important time in the life of the disciples. We have to be careful, don't we, when we label people. And listen, I see you in your living rooms right now going, I don't ever do that. And I'm going, yeah, you do, just like I do. We label people. Guys, we need to be careful about that. We need to, to study. What does the Bible really say about these guys? You know what this has done? I was telling a couple of people this week. I've opened this can, this big can with Thomas. It's just made me think about, you know what? After I get done with 2 Timothy, I'm going to do a study on the life of the disciples. Because those guys, listen, and I'm going to finish with this. Those guys were sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas, we know, said Jesus was the Lord of him and the God of him. Let's pray together. Lord, um, not only was Thomas acknowledging that you were alive, but he was declaring in front of those witnesses, the other ten, that Jesus was the Lord of him and the God of him. What a great example that is for us. So instead of thinking just about doubting Thomas, help us to think about Thomas as an example. An example of the good things that he was willing to go and die with his Savior at one point. And that he was willing to, in that upper room, declare in front of those witnesses, yes, Jesus is the Lord of me and he is the God of me. He's absolute sovereign in my life. He's the one that I worship and adore. Lord, help us to learn from him. Help us to be willing to ask ourselves the difficult questions about where we stand with you. What do we believe? I believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures tell us. I believe he was buried, and I believe that the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and is very much alive. And one day coming back for those that belong to him. Lord, until that time, help us to be risk takers for you. Help us to say, Lord, whatever, wherever, however, I'm willing to do it. And wow, Lord, what an opportunity we have with everything that's going on in our world today to be men and women and young people and boys and girls that are sold out for Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, as we transition now to 
um, remembering your death, that you would help us as we would examine our hearts and our lives and um, that we would confess those sins. And Lord, we're thankful that um, you've forgiven us. But Lord, you tell us to confess our sins and that you're faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. So I just pray that you would help us now as we have that time of remembrance that we would reflect on what you did for us because you loved us so much. Thank you for this time in the name of Christ. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, we have the scene here where Paul is writing about the agape feast. That's a good subject there for some time for you to, to research. But basically, the agape feast was when the church came together and they would share together. And that wasn't going on so well in Corinth. And there were some really despicable things taking place around the agape feast. Some were getting drunk. They weren't sharing with one another. Um, and Paul's like, I'm not praising you for that. Um, in fact, at the end of verse 22, he says, In this I will not praise you. But then he, in verse 23, begins to unveil for them the importance of remembering what the Lord Jesus did for them. Now, you know, you think about the context of 1 Corinthians. This wasn't your model church. So when you think about what Paul is sharing with them, I mean, how important was that? that they would remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he writes this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I have a cracker here. And I'm just going to take that cracker, and I encourage you to do that. Take that cracker and just kind of break it. And I'd like to just bow for a minute. And you just, you need to confess to the Lord and uh, you do that. And uh, then I'll pray and then we'll eat the, the bread together. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your body and your willingness to sacrifice, to be the sacrifice on our behalf. And as we take this cracker, this bread this morning, we remember your body that was broken for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Paul goes on to write, 
verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take the juice that we have and we remember the sacrifice of our Lord and his willingness to shed his own blood so that you and I could be forgiven. (laughs) And so as we take this cup this morning, let's remember what our Savior was willing to do for us by shedding his blood. Let's pray together. Lord, as we're gathered together, whether in our homes or here at 6020 Deerfoot Parkway, we're thankful, Lord, that we have the ability to be able to worship together, although it's in quite a different way. We can still celebrate together, and we just want to thank you for that. Or I just want to thank you for the example of men like Thomas. Um, such an encouragement to me in my life. I thank you for that. And I, Lord, I thank you for your love for him, your love for your disciples, just how that was demonstrated even in the scenes we read about this morning. And Lord, how much you loved us. Um, I pray that as we have remembered your death this morning, that, um, Lord, we would celebrate what the cross accomplished and that we would be willing to tell others the story of the cross at Calvary. Um, That we would be willing to be risk-takers for you and Lord, we live in, in, we're living in times where that opportunity is going to be afforded more and more and more. Help us to be sensitive to that. Thank you that we can celebrate today, as has been celebrated, your resurrection. And Lord, we look forward to the day, and I believe we're living in days that are close. We know this, every second that goes by, it's closer and closer when you're going to come back for your church. And so make us ready. Help us to be ready for that day. And until that day, help us to be witnesses and examples to those that we come in contact with. All this I pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord and God. Amen. What a wonderful time of remembrance that we've had today, and what a special day. I'd like to remember one thing is this morning when we started our worship time, if you were with us, Linda played a beautiful piece. It started off with, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I got to thinking, yes, we were there. Our sin was there, and it was nailed to that cross. It's the same cross 
that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on that day. But on that day, he wore a crown, but it was a crown of thorns. As people mocked him for being a king, but he was a suffering, dying king. But three days later, he rose from the dead, and he proved that he is the true and the rightful king and Lord. The Bible says that he is the lamb on the throne. He is the Lord of love, and that the proof is in his hands and in his side. He is the Lord of life, and the proof is in an empty tomb. And he has triumphed o'er the grave. We sing hallelujah because he is Lord. And God's word tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is worth celebrating this morning. So I'm going to ask you to join us as we celebrate in these final songs for this service today. Crown him with many crowns. Let us sing together.
This morning, as we had the privilege of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I trust you'll join us again next week as we come back together and worship the Lord. Um, I wanted to close out praying for those that um, in our country who are, have been impacted by COVID-19. I want to pray this morning specifically for our first responders and doctors and nurses. And Lord, give them wisdom. And I want to pray for those that They've lost their jobs. The Lord would continue. We know he does. He provides for the needs of people, and we're thankful for that. We want to pray about that this morning as, as we close our time together. And so let's bow and pray. Well, we just want to thank you so much again for an opportunity to come together as your church and to um, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I pray that if there are any out there that have been watching, um, today that, that don't know you, Lord, that, that today that they would, they would confess uh, with their mouth that indeed Jesus um, died for my sins and I'm trusting in, in what he did for me on the cross. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. and he, he paid the price. He took the debt on himself, the sin debt. And, and Lord, I just pray that if there's any out there that that aren't believing, that they would be believing, and that they'd be able to cry out the same thing that Thomas cried out from that upper room, Jesus is the Lord of me and the God of me. Lord, we just want to remember um, the ones that are um, out there uh, dealing on the front lines with this COVID-19. I, I want to pray for our first responders, those within our own fellowship. Lord, you'd protect them for the nurses that are in our fellowship, for the doctors, Lord, that you would just protect these folks and um, we, just, we just give them to you. Um, we, we're just asking you, Lord, to protect them. Uh, I want to pray for those in our fellowship who, whose jobs, whose lives have been impacted by the loss of a job and, 
We just thank you to know, Lord, from your word that you tell us you provide for our needs. And so I pray that, that um, Lord, all of us would be trusting you for those things. And that, Lord, as you put it on our hearts to um, be able to help others who are going through a difficult time, that, that, Lord, we would be sensitive to that. And again, we just want to thank you for a great day of celebration. And I pray, Lord, that um, we anticipate your coming because I believe it, it can be any time. We know that. There's nothing else we're waiting on. We're just waiting on you to return for your church. And so we just live hopefully with the anticipation of your return. And until you come back, help us to, to glorify you and to honor you in what we do and help us to be witnesses of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen.